once again, and welcome to the Hop and Brew School podcast. My name's Justin Crosley. And I'm Nick Ziegler. And we are your hosts, as always. Uh, we've got a special guest with us today, which I'm excited about, because I haven't talked to my old friend John Palmer in quite some time. How are you, John? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good. I'm happy to have you on the program. Thanks for, for thanks for being here with us. Ah, you know, I I didn't have anything else scheduled, so <laughs> what can I do? I'm surprised. You're uh, you're running around the world judging competitions and teaching people about making better beer. So I'm glad we caught you on a good day. Yeah, yeah, I was I was real happy to do this. Uh, it's always good to talk with you and uh yeah, Hoppin' Brew School. Favorite memory when I was up there a few years ago, so Glad to be here. Excellent. Yeah, of course, the Hop and Brew School podcast is named after Hop and Brew School up at YCH at Yakima Chief Hops, and uh, I'm going to go for my first time this year. Yeah, we are uh, real excited to have everybody up there. It's going to be real, f- or down? No, it is up for you guys. So, it's yeah. up for me, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I just caught word from our friends at Yakima Chief Hops that uh, Hop and Brew School happens this year over Labor Day weekend. Uh, so stay tuned to Yakima Chief uh, Hops for, uh, I think it's yakimachief.com, right? Yep. To uh, uh, make sure you can get your tickets uh, as soon as they're available. You'll be able to find out there. And we'll keep you up to date here on the podcast as well to, to make sure you can get your get your trip planned. I'm yeah, excited. We're, we're actually growing it out a little bit this year. Um, we're, we're really excited about a slight change in format, but it's going to make it um, hopefully better for all attendees. Um, and uh, this is one of those things where uh, we've always, I mean, I, I was there as a participant and a speaker before, um, and now I get to be sort of on the organizing side of things, which is, you know, great fun. And this sort of parallels what this show is like, too. For me, I mean, having been a listener for, for years and years and years and getting to hear the great John Palmer, um, it is quite an honor to be on the air with you, sir. <laughs> uh, this is after we've, uh, we've, we've been seeing each other at, uh, uh, on, the, on the speaking circuit, I think. So we saw each other in, right. in the Philippines. We saw each other at HomebrewCon. We've seen each other quite a lot over the last CBC, uh, yeah. CBC yeah. over the last year um, and, uh, and gotten um, very responsibly um, relaxed together. Shall yes, we say. that's right. <laughs> Very nice. Had some, several pizzas thrown in the one. Oh God, time. yeah, those were so good. <laughs> Well, of course, John Palmer is the author of How to Brew, which you can find over at howtobrew.com. It's, uh, in my opinion, the best uh, brewing book ever created to, to learn how to brew. Mine as well. Uh, it's uh, sort of, I gave it as required reading to all of my uh, master's co-students in, in, in the class who hadn't ever brewed before. And uh, uh, anybody who always asks me, you know, what should I learn? How should I learn how to brew? I was like, go to howtobrew.com. You get the book as well because you can, it's, it's much less dangerous to have a book next to your boil kettle than it is your laptop. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's you. still great. And I, I use a lot of your charts and whenever I I'm, I'm, I'm teaching people, and, and I say, just go through that. That's, that's a really, really good in, uh, sort of introduction to brewing and, and really thorough overview. And uh, you can dig deeper if you want, but, you yeah. know, if you just use that, you're – I mean, I, I would say – I would venture to say that, heck, 95% of all of the brewers that I've ever met learned how to brew and really got their chops um, through how to brew. So thank you, John. Yeah. Wow. You're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> well, one of my favorite parts about it, John, I was just talking to a, a, a guest had come into our Hop Grenade Tap Room out in Fort Collins. It was a new home brewer. Um, we were talking about the Brewing Network. And, you know, I said, hey, you know, you know, the book you should get first is How to Brew. And he's like, oh, man, I already got it. And one of the things we both <laughs> uh, agreed on was that you could act, it, it does cover all the basics, but you actually do go in depth, especially in your latest versions of it. And so yep. him and I both felt like we could either take that or leave it, right? Like, you know me, I'm not much of a science guy. And so you, if it gets a little too heady, my head starts to explode. And uh, both him and I agreed that we liked that about your book. If we ever wanted to dive in, that was there too. Or we could just stick right. to the basics. So anyway, folks, go to howtobrew.com and check that out. Uh, As for this show, oh, and of course, Palmer does a a show right here on the Brewing Network called Brew Strong with Jamil Zanishev. So uh, if you haven't heard that yet, uh, (laughs) you should go check out that. That's that's actually, uh, you guys are going on over 12 years of content there, Palmer. Which wow. is, I, it's been 12 years <laughs> since Bruce Strong launched. Yeah, because uh, the, uh, the, the Brewing Network itself is, is just about to be 14, and I think that Bruce Strong started in the second year, if I'm, if I'm, Holy if I'm not cow, mistaken. Holy so. cow, I... That's yeah. crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. a lot of content. Well, there. it's also excellent content. That's one of those yeah. things that I also say, like, if you want to learn some in-depth stuff, listen to, the uh, you know, Bruce Strong. And it really is about brewing strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as for this show, as I always like to tell you here in the beginning, that the Hop and Brew School is the podcast to connect the world's finest brewers and home brewers with knowledge about hops so that we can all drink 
better beer. And today's show is no exception. We've got John Palmer here because he is one of the uh, uh, brilliant uh, people who can explain water chemistry to the likes of me. And uh, what we wanted to do was cover water chemistry, of course, as it pertains to hops on this program. And so uh, how it affects your, your usage in brewing um, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So today it's water chemistry and hops with John Palmer. Um, and of course, John, I thought we'd start with kind of the basics of water chemistry for brewing. And I think that will easily lead us into the hop discussion, right? Sure. Yeah. So, Nick or John, I don't know who wants to start. John, why don't you go for it? Yes, please, John, because uh, you, as, <laughs> as I've said this many times before, you want to learn about chemistry, don't talk to me. Talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. And you are one of those people, John, so please take, this, take it and go. All right, well, thanks. Um, yeah, basics of water chemistry. I always tell people to look at cooking because beer and brewing is food and cooking. Um, same processes, same chemistry going on. And in the case of beer, the minerals in the water, the, the dissolved minerals in the water are your seasoning. They are the salts that you're using to season the beer with. So uh, on that front, we have uh, calcium and magnesium, which are your water hardness salts. Um, and then you have the alkalinity or bicarbonate in the water. That's your, the alkalinity uh, of the water. And those two groups, uh, the calcium, magnesium, and the bicarbonate, balance against each other to determine the water pH and as well as uh, affect the wort and beer pH you know, in your mash. So um, that's where those uh, ions come into play is they play a role in determining the the ph then we also have the flavor ions which are your uh, sulfate and chloride and sodium and sulfate accentuates your hop character basically it acts to uh, dry out the character of the beer a bit it makes the hop character a little more assertive a little drier a little punchier um, but also helps it fade faster, so it, you know the bitterness doesn't ling- linger on your tongue. Hey, John, just a quick interruption here. Um, sure. It, when you talk about hop character, you're really talking about that bitterness. Yes. Not the overall so the, sort of the character of hoppiness. And this is something that that I think um, we've we've talked about before on the show, and, and I certainly talk about a lot of my presentations. Is that over the past um, thirty years, the craft brewing, brewing movement has really moved this definition of hop character away from that singular bitterness. Concept. That's a very good and point. Yes. And, and so that's a, so it's important to, to to make that distinction that we're, when we're talking about this hop character as it pertains to um, the sulfate and chloride. Um, we're really talking about the balance of bitterness and sweetness in the beer. And also to a degree how the hop flavor, depending on the style, uh, is experienced. Yep. Okay. So you have the sulfate, which accentuates the bitterness and and flavor to some degree, uh, mainly through a drying and uh, punchiness or accentuation uh, kind of character. That crisp sort of snap that I get sort of. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Uh, then chloride and, and sodium as well, you know, it's just like salting your food. So sodium and chloride, um, they act to round out the malt character of the beer. Of the beer. Um, how sweet and full that malt character is. And as, again, this is, it is exactly like salting your food because beer is food. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah, so those are, those are our principal players. We have, we have the calcium, magnesium versus the bicarbonate that uh, plays, has an effect on pH. We have the sulfate versus the chloride, which you know, gives some sort of, you know, an, uh, enhances the uh, character of the beer. And the final effect um, in terms of water chemistry on, on beer flavor is uh, that beer pH itself. Because the more acidic of a drink is, uh, the more those flavors become focused. They come a little, become a little bit brighter, a little bit more focused. Um, as you raise the pH, those flavors tend to broaden out and um, become a little more complex. Now, if you go too far in raising the pH, those flavors become 
muddy for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. but you know, they spread, they spread out too much and you tend to lose complexity. You lose definition of what those flavors are. So there's, there is a delicate balance there on a beer that is too high a pH and too low a pH. Is there a, is there a range there, you know, just as an example, John? I mean, I'm sure. Sure. You, yeah, just for, for what you mentioned, both on the on the high pH side, the, the high acidity side, rather, where it would accentuate some of these flavors, on the moderate side where it keeps them normal, and then where it's like out of bounds, like you're kind of mentioning. Yeah. The, the typical range for most beers is 4.2 to 4.6. There's no clear. There's no. There's no rules for where mm-hmm. a beer style should be in that range. Generally, I think lower pHs, four two to four four, you know, you're those help pale beers where you're looking for some malt, some brightness in the malt character because you don't have malt complexity really in a pale beer. It's it's just that singular pilsner malt that you want kind of, you know, bright and holding its own against the hop character. I see. So I think a little lower pH in the beer uh, helps keep that malt character brighter. As you go to an amber beer, um, say 4.3 to 4.5, that's kind of the middle of the range. A dark beer, um, 4.4 to 4.6. Now you're at this little higher pH, you're allowing those flavors to open up a little bit more, get more complexity from the maltness, maltiness. Okay. So then quick question, because I just wonder if I'm crazy here. In the years of doing the BN, I seem to remember a product that was, I think it was called simply like 5-2 pH stabilizer. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you're giving me this range that's, that's not there. Right. Well, see, 5-2 pH stabilizer, that, that's intended for the mash. I see. Okay. Yeah. So, so, is, now, yeah. so we're talking finished product We're here. talking finished product. Right. So, so, so this is actually Good. kind of important. This is actually a perfect lead-in. Thank you, sir. This sure. is why you're a radio host. Yeah. Um, is that, well, so what, just, what John's been talking about is something that, so I would use slightly different terms, but it, it, talking about exactly the same thing. So it, when you said earlier that the uh, sort of the sulfate and the, and the, the lower pH stuff, is, it, it sort of sharpens and I guess focuses the flavors mm-hmm. yes. in the same way that the chloride and the higher pHs, they don't, I wouldn't say dull them out but they 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 increase the range so like if you imagine yeah. um you know a super super sour like a lemon is like a spiky flavor yeah um whereas like uh bicarb or dough is like kind of a broad flat flavor but there's a lot in in there mm-hmm. whereas in in the, in the spiky very very focused flavors there's that one dominating characteristic that is so overwhelming everything else that you have to really look around that that spiky point, that very finely sharpened point, to get to the other flavors that are beneath it. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're when you're on a sort of a more dull or not dull but a, you know like a rounded flavor, I think let's let's go with rounded um, and and broader uh, range of flavors, it may be more subtle, and there may may not be as focused a flavor. But you can actually detect a lot more. So it's not necessarily, you're not saying it's muddy and so that I can't t- detect it anymore. It's just subtle. It's not necessarily subtle, but it's, it, there's a lot going on. And so when, when John right. says muddy, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, I, I understand it to be that there's so much going on that things are not necessarily in harmony leading towards one major overall experience. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of all playing together in the sand pit of, 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 of flavors. Flavor, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just like chaotic kids in a sandpit and one kid's eating dirt in the corner and, you know, the wonderful nuggets that were dropped off by the neighbor's cat. Yeah, um, the flavors. Was <laughs> I was, you know, I was, I was usually eating the paint chips and sticking a battery in my mouth. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the flavors aren't actually working together very well. Um, right. So let's, let's back a bit, a bit to what, what J- Justin was asking about is that the 5-2 is for, for mash reactions. And, that's, and it's not yes. only the 5-2 that you're, you're, the pH that you're worried about, that is a very important driver, but it's also the ion balance that is in that liquid to make it a 5.2. So right. you need to have the right balance of sulfate and chloride, but primarily you need to have the right amount of calcium. And you can't really just add pure calcium to, to, to your mash or to your wort. I mean, you could. It's pretty fun. Uh, but it's not going <laughs> to absorb into the liquid. It's just going to blow up. Um, okay. But um, when you add the sulfate in either, you know, well, you know, you know, calcium sulfate versus calcium chloride versus magnesium sulfate, you're also going to be adding a lot of other stuff. And when you're right. adding magnesium or you're adding zinc or you're adding, um, you know, sodium, you're also going to be adding chloride and sulfate ions and all that stuff. So what you have to do is a sort of delicate 
balancing act to try to get the right balance of sulfate, chloride, and the other trace minerals like zinc, like magnesium, like selenium even to some extent. And those are all for yeast health and, and for, for mash efficiency and for, for as enzyme cofactors. But when you talk about the pH of, of finished beer, and I think this is, uh, you know, John's metaphor of, of the, sh- the sharp versus the muddled is very, very good, is that when finished beer is, is, is done, you're kind of, you're typically sitting uh, for, for most pale ales, um, you're typically sitting between about 4.2 and um, about Five, you know, that's or, or most most beers, right? So most non-sour right. and most non-super roasty beers, and that range is sort of on that traditional side. But if you look at some of the more modern sours, like um, mm-hmm. a kettle sour or a uh, you know a traditional wild fermented or or mixed culture sour, yours P, those pHs can go all the way down below three. But yeah. when you have, and I sa- wasn't referring to those at all. Yeah. Okay, but when, but when you have a sour beer that is down below three. Or even to my to my palate, it typically kicks in around three point four. It starts getting overwhelmingly acidic, and you mm-hmm. don't notice everything else. It's just like holy crap, that's sour. Pucker sour. Pucker yeah. sour. Yeah. I mean, wonderful, and I love it. But it's like that's all you get. It's like drinking, you know, the equivalent of like lemon juice or vinegar mixed together, not like acetic acid, but just that whole like holy cow, that's all I can perceive. Okay. And when you get higher, um, and and I might just point out that since we're discussing primarily water with hops and hops aren't really the the uh, star of the show in sour beers usually um ah, we'll talk about that later though okay we might be getting to that well i guess i was just wondering that we might primarily be focusing on that four two to four six range for a hops and and water show uh but mm-hmm. you're you're saying no maybe we want to get into hops with even at those lower ph well which is really interesting if you've ever made a, a dry hopped wild fermented beer so once the fermentation has finished and the bugs have really mm-hmm. has sort of evened themselves out the lacto in particular and the pedio in particular um, but you you still have some bread in there which is hop tolerant you can get some really interesting flavors develop okay and, um, we're actually not sure and john maybe you'd, you'd have have some input on this we actually don't know if it is on our perception side or if it is on the chemical side like are these bugs actually doing stuff is it the result of biotransformation because of enzymatic action by these microbes or is it just crazy chemistry because the ph is so dang low and there's all these different acid species there and there's a different ion balance because the ph is so low i see yeah so there's yeah, a lot could, of complexity it could be a mix definitely mm-hmm. yeah Britannomyces is good at esterifying uh, various fatty acids uh, acids other you know higher alcohols and and generating some of these very interesting uh, esters uh, that you can taste in the sour beers and it is better at doing that at lower pHs when the, when the pH is a little bit high it creates much more of a mousy thp character which is um, one right. of my least flavor favorite one of my least favorite flavors in beer <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay do yeah, we need mouse to pee. Do we need to discuss uh, where and how we might add these salts now, uh, you know, to, to get our desired pH and, and salt amounts in order to accentuate our hops? Or do we leave that chemistry to the Brew Strong water shows and we, you know, say, look, at, you could pause here if you need to go learn how to, you know, put how and when to put in these these salts and move on I, to... I can summarize it real quick. Okay. So there are, there are a lot of uh, brewing software applications out on the web. Beersmith for one, Brewer's Friend for another, Brewing Water by my friend Martin Brungard, mm-hmm. and my own uh, water adjustment spreadsheet and phone app. So all any of these tools can help you. What you do is you put in the volume of water that you want to adjust as well as that water's uh, initial profile that you would get from like a water report. And then to that, you can add specific amounts of salts, usually in grams, you know, in terms of either grams for the entire volume or grams per gallon, depending on the software. Um, and then what it'll output is the final profile. And you can compare that final profile to classic brewing cities, or you can look at the residual alkalinity number, which gives you uh, kind of a snapshot of how that water is going to affect the mash pH and all of these tools, I mean, it, it, you know, this is brewing, so it takes experience and, and, you know, some trial and error and seeing what happens. Uh, and you will get a feel for it and you know how much salts that you want to add to adjust your water. Yeah, I guess that in summary, um, yeah, there's brewing software out there to help you. You can add the calcium sulfate or calcium chloride, magnesium sulfate um, or calcium hydroxide is another 
and sodium bicarbonate, baking soda. All of these, you know, commonly available salts can be added to your brewing water to help you adjust the sulfate to chloride ratio, adjust the total hardness and total alkalinity and your, and your residual alkalinity, um, and help you adjust your water. All right, perfect. So a lot of resources there, and you can dive in and do that. So now that we kind of have an understanding of, of what these uh, salts are and, and, and what they do, can we talk about what it is they're actually doing, what they're affecting, how, how they affect bitterness and, and some of these other uh, you know, flavors and aromas that we're looking for? Take it away, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's a, there's a bunch of different things going on here. Um, so to start with, um, the, the pH is incredibly important for the solubility of alpha acids and isomerized alpha acids in a wort and beer matrix. And this is, like, this is again, this is very important. I, I, I need people to understand that a lot of um, the, the water chemistry calculators and, and, and water chemistry in general is talking about salt ions and hop compounds in water, not in beer. Because when you get these sugars, you get um, a bunch of ions from, from other sources like the malt itself, um, and uh, you, you, you create a different environment for these compounds to interact. And, and yeah, a whole hate. different equilibrium. It's a whole different equilibrium. I and mean, that's why, like for me, I tried, <laughs> I foolishly tried not using a calculator one time because I was a badass homebrew on my, 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 my third batch or something. And I decided that I was going to calculate all my water additions by hand and look at the change in the, uh, the pH and, and ion balance uh, throughout that whole, whole, whole brewing process. I gave up. It was it was just too much going on. So hats off to you, John, for for, for making our life easier. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that you see is that uh, so for pH as an example, um, the solubility of of alpha acids and isoalpha acids at uh, different pHs is is pretty huge. So at a four point two, which is still well within the range of, of of a normal beer, the solubility for isoalpha acids is five hundred milligrams per liter. So that's five hundred ppm. So that's that's the maximum solubility. That's pretty good, you know. But when you get up to 5.2, it's 2,400. Oh, wow. Big difference. And that ratio, or the, so that, that low, low to high continues. So the higher the pH, the more bitterness you are going to be able to extract from the reactions. It's going to improve the isomerization rate, um, but it's also going to stay in solution. Whereas if it is too low, you will not get the, the, the compounds into solution, and they are more they're, – they're, they're, they're going to come out of solution a lot more easily. So you can add a lot more hops at low pH and you're not going to get as much isoalpha acids in to stay in solution in your beer, which is weird because as we all know, sourness accentuates bitterness. Hmm. So what the heck is going on? There are a bunch of different other compounds. And I think John, you've, you've, you've talked about this at length before how there are other bittering compounds that are not just the isoalpha acids and the alpha acids. Um, you get some of the polyphenols that have interacting, uh, effects. And you also get some of the acids themselves will actually sort of just accentuate some, some, some bitter character. And so it's, uh, it's really interesting to see how that behaves. So you can have like a 3.3, 3.4 pH beer, um, that has 15 or 20 IBUs. But you'd have had to add so much hop material to get that into solution to stay there mm. that you're also adding a bunch of other stuff. And so there's, there's this concomitant effect that you're adding non-IBU bitterness. And then you're also adding all these other compounds that contribute to this bitter character on top of the fact that sourness makes bitterness more apparent on the palate. I see. So it's this whole, this, 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 this major stack of, of, of things that's leading to the lower the pH and the lower the titratable acidity, the more bitterness is going to be accentuated. All right. So what are some of those compounds, John, uh, those hop compounds that uh, Nick's referring to that have an effect here? He, he mentioned hop polyphenols. Mm-hmm. That's your xanthohumol, hop polyphenols, in just a broad term. And, yeah, the, you, know, you taste this to an extent in heavily dry hop beers. The, all these polyphenols uh, react, form hazes. When these polyphenols get on your tongue, they react with amino acids in your mouth and uh, precipitate and get that coating feeling on your tongue. Mm. So, yeah, and it's this, so this haze, this, astru- this astringency, astringency from the polyphenols um, is interpreted by your tongue as bitterness. Okay. 
So, Nick, you've kind of given me, it, it sounded to me anyway, like a what not to do. Uh, you know, if, if, my, if my beer is too acidic, uh, I'm going to have this, uh, you know, more accentuated bitterness. Uh, even John's kind of describing it as something on my palate that might be a little heavy. So what do I do? And do I get just, just get back in that, that pH range? Well, that's, well, I think what we're describing is there is kind of this equilibrium of effects. As you go down in pH and get more acidic, hmm. uh, these compounds are become less soluble. So even you, uh, if, imagine, if you will, you've got you know, this increasing acidity that's going to accentuate bitterness, but at the same time, these bitter, bitter compounds – um, the hop uh, iso isoalpha acids, the oxidized alpha acids, which are also bitter, mm -hmm. um, less of them can get into solution, and so you have that that factor taking away bitterness while the lower acidity is accentuating the bitterness that's there. Okay, and then again, you also have the the bittering um, sort of. Uh, characteristics of the salts themselves uh, and the flavor characteristics of the salts themselves. So like uh, calcium sulfate is going to be a little bit chalky, bitter, and this kind of weird sweetness, sourness thing going on. Like uh, potassium chloride is going to be uh, bitter and kind of soapy and very astringent. You know, calcium chloride is going to be soapy, salty, sour on their own. Um, magnesium chloride is actually sweet and a little bit salty and then soapy. So that's, that's one of those ones where, and that, that sort of a slick, sweet, salty, soapy character as as a brewer having worked around a lot of sodium hydroxide always freaks me out mm. because that's what caustic feels like on your tongue um not pure don't ever taste this don't ever try this please <laughs> people but highly alkaline uh compounds typically have a, a a slickness to them all right and so these 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 different compounds and different different salts will 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 still linger there they won't all be converted into to free radical or to free not free radicals geez that's the wrong term into um you know free free chloride free sulfate free water, ions uh, free ions yeah um, they some of them will remain as they are, and so you will end up with these these this sort of this this layering of these flavors. And so when you talk about um, sort of what to do and what not to do, mm -hmm. it's again as John said, maintaining this equilibrium, and that equilibrium can be at any point on on the scale. So if you want to maintain an equilibrium towards sour, you're going to be want to balancing out your, your 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 stuff around this sort of sour experience, the sour the sour pH. If you want it to be a little bit more um, I would say soft and filling because because mm -hmm. uh, uh, higher pH uh, beers tend to tend to make you feel more full. You uh, you you, you want to balance it around that. So if you look at the concept of, of salt as a seasoning and all these different salts as seasonings, they all behave slightly differently in terms of what flavors they accentuate and what they add to the beer. And so you asked, what should we not do and what should we do? Mm. Typically, you want to be adding your 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 salt. You want to be treating your water before it enters the process at all. So you want to be adding it in, uh, in with your mash or just, just before the mash. And uh, there are schools of thought about adding salts to your sparge water directly so that you're sparging with the same um, ion balance that you would, you would have in your, um, in your, your strike water. I, I think it has an effect. Um, it's, it's not a huge effect because the majority of the reactions have already occurred and you're really just sort of rinsing stuff out. But you can change the solubility of some of the compounds in, in, in the mash um, by adjusting the salt balance in your in your sparge water. All right. um, and that will have an impact downstream. And I would encourage you guys to read Palmer's book on water because that'll give you much more detail about this. Mm -hmm. But the, the pH of your, of your wort will affect the pH of your beer. Now, you said, is there something we can do to change that pH? So fermentation itself changes the pH. It drops it and then raises it a little bit towards the end. The addition of hop compounds will change, will change your pH. And then uh, you, what you end up with is this, this beer that, that is in the range of, you know. Uh, that 4.2 to 4.6. 4.2 to 4.6, yeah. up to 4.8 depending. So like a black IPA, you, yeah. it's not unusual to see it at 4.86 or 4.9 even, mm -hmm. which uh, I remember uh, in my early brewing days uh, when I was uh, at a big brewery, getting a, a sample of uh, our black IPA and freaking out because the bubbles looked weird and the pH was really high. I was like, oh, God, we got some caustic into the beer. Uh -oh. And we wouldn't tell because the darkening was, was hidden by, the, by the, the malt. And now it was just it, that was just the pH of the beer. Okay. Um, but that was one of those beers that you couldn't drink a lot of. And it really had this rounded flavor, but it just filled you up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, some people might say, it's like, oh, the pH is too low. Well, can't I add some alkaline substance to, 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 to raise the pH? 
you absolutely can do that. Um, you got to be careful about what you choose, though, because um, you, you can't just add alkalinity. You're going to be having to add it via something like sodium hydroxide, which is caustic. I, I'm not a huge fan of, of that concept. Um, yeah, that'll that'll, that'll scaring me already. Or you can add stuff. You can do it adding uh, adding chalk, like brewer's chalk, calcium chloride, and mm-hmm. um, that does some really interesting things to the beer because you're adding the the alkalinity via that 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 chloride. But carbonate. Uh, sorry, carbonate. Sorry, calcium carbonate, not calcium chloride. It's calcium <laughs> carbonate. Thank you, John. Um, you're almost you're, here to help. There you go. You're adding that that alkalinity via um, that carbonate but it's also dragging along this calcium ion. Well, what does calcium do to flavor compounds? It adds this sort of sweet, slightly, you know, slightly salty metallic character, but you won't, you're not going to notice it as metallic, but mm. you're going to notice it as this slightly rounded character. But what is it a really important cofactor for? It's an important cofactor for a lot of enzymatic reactions which we've already talked about, certain things like, you know, you can get that hop creep going on, you can get some sacrification going on, Mm -hmm. but it's incredibly important for flocculation. So it is what actually, in the mannan proteins between yeast cells, what bind together and causes them to flocculate and enables them to drop out. Okay. And we've known about from earlier earlier shows is that flocculation is going to knock knock your yeast out. And what do we know about hop compounds and yeast? They stick together. So I, I had this experience where I had this really nice sour IPA called the Hypnotist. And uh, we had the, we, the pH was, was typically we found that, that the sweet spot was around 3.4. Well, this one batch dropped down a little bit too much and was sitting down around 3.1, 3.2. So we're like, okay, let's just raise the pH, do the calculation, did the uh, titratable acidity test and figured out that if I added a bunch of brewer's chalk, it would raise the pH enough. Except for the fact that Brewer's Chuck doesn't stay in solution when it's cold. It needs to be converted. But I dumped the stuff in. It did drop the pH a lot, but it also came out crystal clear. And this is supposed to be a hazy, sour IPA. I see. <laughs> so all of the yeast dropped out. All of the dry hop character dropped out. I was like, ah, crap. So these are other factors we have to consider, too, when we're adding salts, especially now that there's the haze craze or, or maybe we yeah. want a nice, clear uh, uh, hoppy beer. Mm-hmm. And the, the other problem is that if, you, you know, if, you're, if you're after clear beer, up the amount of calcium in your beer, of course. But you got to be careful about when you do it. So... That was, a, that was a fun learning experience for Nick. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we do this? I think this is a good time for us to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, some, some of the uh, factors uh, affecting isomerization, which we've been talking about a little bit here, and some dry hopping factors, which, I, you know, of course, everybody wants to know. How do, we, how do we dry hop more and better? Sound good to you, John? Sounds great. All right. Hang tight, everybody. You're listening to the Hop and Brew School podcast, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Hop and Brew School podcast. We are still with our wonderful guest, John Palmer, today, author of How to Brew and, uh, of course, the, the water chemistry book, <laughs> <laughs> exactly the topic we're talking about today. And uh, we are discussing hops and water chemistry. So, uh, John, I wanted, to, I wanted to back up just slightly now that we have this foundation and and actually see if you can define to me what bitterness is and, and what makes up that bitterness. Sure, yeah. Um, we've learned a lot about hot bitterness in the last 10 years. Um, what we know is, I mean, what we've always said is that it's the isomerization of the alpha acids that is the principal bittering character. And then we've also talked about it in the same breath of oxidized beta acids being very important for lambic beers and, you know, these aged hops that these sour beers would use. They, those benefited from oxidized beta acids for their bitterness. Well, what we know today uh, in the, with the change in the way we hop beers, you know, is that we're getting more oxidized alpha acid as opposed to isomerized uh, alpha acid. These oxidized uh, alpha acids are also soluble, and they're about two-thirds as bitter, you know, uh, weight-to-weight as um, isomerized alpha acids. So, and th- when you talk about uh, whirlpool hopping and dry hopping, um, this, you're, you, don't, you don't have the temperature for isomerization, but you get these oxidized alpha acids um, contributing uh, quite a bit of bitterness uh, from the, your dry hopping standpoints. 
I'm kind of messed that up, got off on a tangent there, but yeah. That's so okay. Bitter, <laughs> yeah, bitterness, bitterness today, as, as we understand it, is composed of the iso-alpha acids, these oxidized alpha acids, which are known as uh, humulinones, and you have the oxidized beta acids or hulipones, but in terms of today's beers, uh, those are very minor character unless you're talking about a sour beer that's hopped with aged hops. I see. Uh, then you also have the hop polyphenols, which can contribute bitterness. Um, but the, the main two are the isoalpha acids and the oxidized alpha acids. All right. So that's a foundation for what we're finding in bitterness and, and our flavor as well. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So when you, when you look at that, so there's the, just remember to remind the audience that um, one IBU or one international bitterness unit is one milligram of solubilized isoalpha acid per liter of, of beer, basically. But it's a lot more than that is what we've is what we've been finding over the last ten years or so, and that's what's kind of what John was saying earlier. And so, just the iso alpha acids um, is what you're measuring when you when you use the spectrophotographic method to or for, for, yes, the spectra method for, for for bitterness. But it also picks up some other stuff. Hmm. Um, so it it can either read a little bit higher on compounds that are maybe not so 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 flavor active, and then at the same time, it's also ignoring a bunch of other compounds that that do have this this bittering character. So yeah. without sending us down a tangent, is there a is there a, a time in the near future where we redefine bitterness to not just be IBUs and, and to include some of the things you're mentioning we've we've now learned? Well, I think actually we're already there. Okay. The the we have two we have two methods for measuring bitterness. One is the spectrophotographic method. And please excuse the truck driving by, <laughs> if you can hear that. <laughs> right. um, Spectrophotographic method, or photometric method, sorry, yeah. is where you shine a light of a particular wavelength through a sample, and you measure how much of uh, the light is scattered by the sample. It's an intensity factor. And that method measures a whole bunch of stuff that are have similar chemistry to the isoalpha acids. So it, what it does is it measures a whole bunch of bitter stuff that's all dissolved in the beer. And then there's the HPLC, you know, the big fancy uh, liquid chromatograph that only measures uh, isomerized alpha acid or only measures iso or the uh, alpha the oxidized alpha acid. It, you know, you pick out specific peaks and measure those can i jump in there john it, it doesn't just measure the iso it actually measure you can measure you can get the specific columns and it'll measure all of these compounds that are yes. contributing to bitterness and to polyphenols and stuff so you can actually do a, a what's called a quantitation method of how much of these isomerized how much oxidized mm -hmm. uh, what are the you know the humulinones the hulipones um the, right. the beta acids you can look at all of these things and so then you can build a complex matrix of the bitterness of that. The, so, yeah. so that all makes and sense to me, but I okay. guess what I was getting at in terms of a beer drinker or a layman is, be, so because we're already there, John, as you're saying, we already are measuring these things, but IBUs originally was just measuring the alpha. You know, is there a time where no, a consumer no, that's, is... That's a mistake. That's what's a mistake. Okay. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me get back to that. So we have two methods. Um, we have the original method from the 1950s, the IBU method, that measures how much bitter stuff that looks like isoalpha is in the beer. Okay. And what we've learned is we, now we're, we're really starting to identify what is all this other bitter stuff in addition to the iso that that test measures. So for a while there, we were saying, yes, we are only concerned with isoalpha, um, and this test measures a whole bunch of stuff in addition to isoalpha, so it's not very accurate. Then we started identifying, you know, what all this other stuff is, like the oxidized alpha, like the uh, polyphenols, and saying, okay, well, all this stuff also contributes to bitterness. Mm -hmm. So this is still a good test. I see. The, you know, when, then we, when we step over to HPLC, where you, you can, you know, define, uh, definitively measure individual peaks of individual compounds, and as, as Nick saying, you can you can make a composite map of all these compounds that we have identified that are bitter, and 
and now we can start actually, you know, building a relationship between these two methods and, and add uh, sensory panels to that, you know, to really define maybe a whole new IBU scale or at least just calibrate the IBU scale we have. So that's the specific thing I was trying to get at, is that there, is there a time where I no longer ask what are the IBUs of this beer and instead we'll have this new scale that as a even as just a hophead beer fan I start asking about? We could. We, we could. could. I think, I think the, uh, the redefinition of what the IBU is and being able to um, sort of not just uh, uh, quantitate and quantify how bitter the beer is, but also to qualify how mm-hmm, bitter mm-hmm, the beer is, because mm-hmm. these things all have different characters. So yeah, if you, that's yeah. If you take pure isoalpha acid and dose it into a, um, a, a a matrix of whatever you want, if it's a beer simulacrum or something like that, um, and then you also have a an actual beer brewed to the exact same IBU, the beer brewed to that IBU will be more bitter mm. in different ways mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. the simple um, just uh, isoalpha dosed beer. Okay. Fair enough. That's exactly the answer I was looking to get at. So, um, all right. Well, why don't I move us on just for the sake of time? Um, and we need to discuss some of the factors affecting isomerization, which, of course, is part of what we're talking about here. So, uh, John, what are these factors? Time, temperature, and pH? Yeah. Um, temperature is the principal factor. The, the rate at which alpha acids isomerize is primarily dependent on temperature. And you can there, – there's some papers I, I published and, and other software models that will demonstrate that. Basically, as you go up in altitude, the boiling point of water decreases due to the loss in pressure. So, you know, at sea level, we're at, we boil water at 100 degrees C. As you start moving up in altitude, you know, you, I think in Denver, the, the – uh, Boiling point is at like 95 or 97 degrees Celsius. Hmm. Um, And that has a substantial impact on how much isomerization happens over a given period of time. And so that's where the time factor comes in. So if you wanted to get the same amount of total isomerization between sea level and Denver, which is Mile High City, mm-hmm. um, you would have to boil for a longer period of time in Denver to get that that same amount of bitterness. I see. From purely from the isomerized alpha acids, um, the oxidized alpha acids are going to go into solution anyway, and they're going to go into solution based on the pH of that solution. And that's what Nick and I were talking about earlier in this in this program, mm-hmm. is the effect of pH of the solution, the equilibrium, and how well, how soluble those compounds are. Um, I don't have any uh, charts in front of me that can illustrate that for us. But uh, yeah, there is an effect. At lower pH, the compounds are less soluble than at higher pH. Mm-hmm. I see. And one question I often get from people is, hey, can I raise my boil pH to get better hop utilization and then drop it down lower pH later for the final beer? I mean, physically, yes, you can do that, but it's going to taste different. Mm -hmm. You get, you know, different compounds coming out of the hops in different amounts depending on what that pH is because it how it affects the solubility of not just one compound, but, you know, dozens of compounds. I think we're talking thousands of compounds in hops mm-hmm. that oh, yeah. contribute to flavor. It'd be really interesting to, to run an experiment to see about, um, you know, what the impact of, uh, you know, post-dry hopping, post-filtration, you know, acid dosing is oh, yeah. uh, to, to, to that flavor to see. Because what I've seen is that raising the pH by, through, through the addition of salts and, and, and alkalinity can, can force things to drop out. Whereas I wonder if, if if dropping the pH after you've already got your bitterness in there um, is going to, you know, maybe make things more efficient. I, I bet you some some macrobreweries have done this. Yeah, um, probably. So but it's always a holistic approach on these shows, right? Mm-hmm. It, that, that I think John is saying that it's easy 
to say, in fact, even just in our in our last episode, we, we were talking about this. Well, what if I just did this one thing? I mean, you're telling me it, it, this one thing is the factor. So what if I just did that? And the answer is always, as John just gave, well, there's about a thousand other things happening. <laughs> yeah. So if you just address the one, you're not taking a holistic approach to your beer, which, look, it may turn out fine but it probably will just affect something else. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. Is that, is, as John has, has said, the key term is maintaining that equilibrium between all of these factors. Okay. So, John, I got a question for you. Um, when we talk about sort of, sort of the water chemistry and the salts in, um, in, in the beer matrix and in our, in our water and therefore our wort, um, and then finally our beer, what are the impacts of some of these, of the, some of these ions on isomerization? I, unfortunately, you that hasn't been studied um, or it's been studied a little bit and uh, they came back with really no no discernible difference for like calcium and zinc um, I, I, my, my memory's a little bit hazy here but unfortunately so much has not been researched you know, or published when it comes to water chemistry and its effects on beer flavor you know, whether it be hops or malt character. Um, really, we're just, you know, in the last five years have really started uh, addressing that more and more. Up until now, water chemistry adjustment um, has always been up done to the to up front, you know, to the water before mm-hmm. you brew. And then the response from that is like, oh, okay, the beer tastes good. Okay, it worked. <laughs> you know, without a whole lot of analysis or results published on what the actual changes, say, in ion concentration and pH and sensory panels, you know, t- saying, you know, we taste this difference between beer A and beer B. Mm-hmm. Um, there really just isn't enough published to say. That's what. So that's that's one of the frustrations that that we've had in in, in our investigations. So we're having to, we're we're sort of blazing this trail. So this is one of the things that I, I hope to to investigate. And I was hoping to. Hopefully, engage you in this because you know so much about the, the water chemistry. I'd be delighted to. What's, what's yeah. interesting is that I, I've I've been to, to to breweries to try to help them solve some problems, and where you know they were they were seeing wildly different bitternesses across their multiple sites because these are these are big boys and they've got they've got breweries in, across countries and in different locations and they're mm-hmm. using the same ingredients and the same process nominally, but they were seeing some totally different things. So they they were saying, oh hey, you know. What's up with this extract issue? Um, you know, we're 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 getting this very very low IBU reading in 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 our lab trials. I'm like, well, what wort were you using? And they're like, no, we were just using distilled water. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. aha, okay, mm-hmm. so that's not going to work. Right. No other factors. There's no other factors. You're ignoring those 999 other factors. Okay. Um, and so that's that's sort of kind of kind of really important. And what's other the other thing you, you just reminded me of is that some of these breweries are are operating at sea level, and some of them are, are operating at 10,200 feet. Mm, and yeah. so if they're not accounting for that, because, I mean, when I was in Mexico, my, my, my boil temperature was started at 96. Wow. Um, and it was, it was much lower than, than it would be at sea, sea level. So I had to boil longer and do other things or like try to increase the pressure maybe to get a higher pressure and higher temperature boil. But, you know, you just have to account for those things. Okay. Yeah. Well, we've got some time to cover dry hopping, which I think is important here. Yes. So uh, what are the, the dry hopping factors? It seems to me like they're very similar to what we've been covering already with, with time, temperature, and pH. But, but what else is involved there, John? Um, well, yeah. Uh, so in dry hopping, you're not getting isomerization. Isomerization cuts out at around, I think it's 140 degrees Fahrenheit. That's about the absolute lowest you can get something to isomerize, alpha acid to isomerize. So the bitter character that you get from dry hopping, and it can be significant, is from these oxidized alpha acids, which are about two-thirds as bitter as the isoalpha. Um, also, the xanthohumyl or the hop polyphenols, those are bitter. But, of course, now you're – when you the reason we dry hop is not for bitterness. We do it to get uh, oils, you know, the, these essential oils and aromas into the beer. Interestingly enough, total oil content of the hop is was found in a in a very good study to not be a factor to for overall hop intensity, uh, hop aroma intensity. I'm going to step um, in here and uh, challenge that, and much respect okay. to to Shellhammer's lab. But um, 
I think it very much matters, as, he, as, as they correctly pointed out, what the quality of that oil is, meaning which oils and, and which, what, what that oil was made up of, matters, yeah, yeah. matters very, very strongly. But again, if you have 3% oil in a hop versus 1% oil, and even if the oil balance is different, that 3% oil is going to have more character than that 1% oil. But some of the compounds don't always stick around. And so if you have, uh, you know, gram for gram, uh, the same amount of those uh, of the quality of the character of the oil, not quality, let's, let's, let's go with character of the oil, um, mm-hmm. more is going to be more intense. And that's, okay. and that's important because they were comparing, they were comparing different, different hop varieties, which had a different balance of oils. So, okay. all right. Yeah. It is, suffice to say it's it, very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, um, time, temperature, dry hopping. Um, the temperature of the beer, you know, when you add those dry hops has an effect. Um, it, it has an effect on how, uh, how well that oil comes out into the beer, that solubility. Mm-hmm. Um, traditionally dry hopping in England, for example, was done at cellar temperature around, you know, 50, 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and they would leave the beer on the hops, you know, the whole time that keg was active, which was typically a week. To ten days or so, um, when you increase that time—two weeks, three weeks—now um, you start getting more of the the hot polyphenols coming into play uh, and getting a getting a more bitter uh, and astringent uh, character from that dry hop, and you start it starts tasting grassy. The same thing happens if you increase the temperature of the dry hopping, um, say. 75 degrees Fahrenheit, um, you'll, that grassy character will start manifesting sooner um, in, say, a week versus, say, two weeks or 10 days. So that's, that's a balance is, is, you know, the, the temperature you're at in fa- impacts the amount of time it takes for those, that, those oils to come out and give the benefit of that aroma to the beer um, versus uh, – too long and getting the astringency from the hop cones. I see. And just pH, so long, go pH ahead. is the same aspect. It, you know, uh, again, uh, lower pH restricts um, and reduces the astringency. Higher pH can uh, allow higher solubility of some of those astringent compounds. Okay. And and just so I'm clear again, when you're talking about this this time and the temperature and and what can happen, we're not talking about isomerization. We're no. talking about the oils being released into the beer. Oils, yeah. the oxidized alpha and beta acids, and um, some of the other compounds like the polyphenols and stuff. So it's, and, and so when you talk about that grassiness, that's a particular subset of, of very water-soluble compounds. Okay. And small notes of them are, are wonderful, and they can add a, a freshness to the beer, like mm-hmm. sort of a, a, a cucumber or melon rind character. Um, but excessively, they become a little bit intense. I see. And when you talk about time, temperature, pH, and then uh, I always add a fourth one there, which is quantity or, or volume. Oh, right? yeah, good idea. And, and, yeah. And, uh, and, and I guess tangentially as well is the, is the contact time. So if you have a lot of surface area to volume ratio, um, so you've got a lot, of, a lot of your hop compounds in contact with a lot of the liquid, you're going to get faster absorption. And so in dry hopping, I always give people this, this sort of four-square matrix, which is time, temperature, quantity, and pH. You can increase one, but then you're going to have to decrease the other three in order to, to, to get the same effect. That so if you increase the quantity and increase the amount of surface area and you increase the, uh, then you can, you can actually reduce the temperature and you can reduce the time, which is very, very valuable for brewers. And then you can also reduce the pH. So you can actually do these recirculated dry hops with relatively high quantities of, of hop material um, in a low pH beer or even a higher pH beer. And you'll extract the desirables quite quickly because they're, they're, they're quite soluble. And then you won't necessarily extract all the unwanted stuff. Hmm. And more importantly, you can do it faster. So you can get it out of solution tank, tank earlier, which is, goes back to the previous episode when we were talking about the improvement in efficiency of extraction by understanding pH and, and how the solubility of these hop compounds and the interaction of, of all the water chemistry affects this stuff is that people are starting to see things like this um you know they call it hop creep and that's what we talked about last episode and john i'm sure you've experienced this as well and we've it's it's been around forever but it's just Mm -hmm. that as we've reduced tank time um that has reared its head Mm -hmm. whereas before if you remember like in in your book and when first first edition and your experience two weeks of dry hopping time was totally normal oh yeah yeah 
and now it's like no that's gonna be bad <laughs> yeah get that beer moving mm-hmm. all right do we want to provide a summary of what we've discussed here today that just kind of covers i think even we, we did a little just now um that covers just the basic factors of water chemistry and hops for brewing yeah go ahead justin <laughs> i'll try uh actually we'll see if we'll see if it worked john Okay. <laughs> uh, well, pH is one of the first factors that we want to uh, address, um, and we want to do that uh, with our, our brewing water before it even hits the mash, pre- preferably, although uh, Nick said it could be done in, in sparge water and things like that. And uh, we're looking for a balance of our salts. Um, uh, sulfates accentuate hop character, uh, and, and chlorides accentuate malt character, and we want to find our own balance in there. Uh, and a great suggestion from John Palmer was to go use one of the many brewing programs or his own app um, or the, the How to Brew chart because you might want to look at what water you're trying to emulate uh, and what beer you're trying to emulate. You know, is it, is it English water? Is it German water? Um, heck, nowadays it might be certain water on the West Coast if you're really going for that, that hot, your favorite hoppy beer. Um, That's true. Of course, that could be on the East Coast too. Don't, don't get mad at me, East Coast. Right. You, you make hoppy beers too. <laughs> but uh, that's a great and simple way to to look at how you can get the balance uh, of salts in your beer um okay and then of course we got this uh, great definition of what bitterness is that 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 went on a little farther than <laughs> i can I- explain here um but um suffice to say ibus are still an, an, an accurate measurement and and maybe someday soon we'll be looking at uh, even another uh, part of our vocabulary that could express more than alpha acids um and 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 even better i think uh, actually more accurately john as you corrected me was uh, not more than alpha acids but better than we're explaining it now because those things yeah. are being measured uh, now yeah the ibu I, is a is a good representative descriptor of bitterness <clears throat> yeah 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 but and i think to illustrate a little bit, there, an IBU from a New England IPA where you're talking about principally whirl hop, uh, whirlpool hopping and dry hopping character versus a beer uh, um, or uh, a uh, let's pick pick a style, John, pick a style. Um, uh, West Coast IPA. A stout. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Stout. yeah, but where where the hopping schedule is different. The, the hopping schedule, the way those uh, those hops are are processed, whether in the boil, beginning of the boil, end of the boil, after the boil, makes a big difference on the qualities of that total hop character. Okay. And so we may at some point in the future start splitting up the IBU saying, okay, this is a late hopping IBU number versus an early hopping IBU number because you may approach the same number, say 50 but the character will be different between those two beers. John, you nailed it. That's exact. When I was trying to formulate my question in the first place, that's uh, what I that's what I had in my mind because I could tell that you guys were talking about these different characters that we now understand. Uh, so thank you. That was perfect. Yeah, that's actually really really insightful <laughs> way of looking at it. The, the whirlpool IBU versus the dry hop IBU versus the boil IBU. Yeah, it's exactly what I was getting at. Because even thinking of as a consumer, because um, you know we and even the consumers know about late hop additions and dry mm-hmm. hopping now. How so? So when we when we go to the counter and we say what is your hoppiest beer it doesn't mean the same thing as it meant 10 years right. ago even it, to the consumer right. is what i'm saying and it depends what country in because in, in britain <laughs> typically they'll still say oh that's the bitterest beer i'm like no no, no yeah. what's your hoppiest beer right <laughs> and they're like what, what do you mean um, perfect john you nailed it um and then of course uh, uh factors affecting uh, a summarization are are the same as affecting dry hopping uh you know time uh, temperature pH and volume as Nick added in um, yeah. and and I like the I like your ending summary Nick where if you have if you have a four square um, you know chart to figure out your your dry hopping factors your time temperature your volume your pH if you change one you've got to change something else you increase one you've got to reduce something else mm-hmm. um, and that's this that's what I got out of this show guys so I hope that's a, a fair enough summary did I miss anything that we didn't want to point out no, I think that's that was pretty that was pretty good, John. Yeah, I 
that sound sound real good to me. So, I mean, one of the things that we're going to be looking forward to talking about in the future, hopefully, is is the impact of our water chemistry and our our, our, our ion balances on other compounds beyond just bitterness, mm-hmm. um, right. and also ways of uh, of playing with that. So you can you can always add salts. Like some, I know some breweries will add uh, half of their salts to the mash, and then the other half to the whirlpool, trying to to see if they can affect the wort. Uh, the wort pH and, and, and the wort ion balance um, more strongly because as, as usual, um, just like with hop compounds and yeast and all that stuff, when stuff drops out of the beer, it doesn't just drop out on its own. It brings a lot of its friends with it. And a lot of that includes some of the nutrients that we're after, like zinc, um, like some of the, some of the other, right. like the, the sulfates right. and the chlorides. Mm-hmm. So um, trying to, to adjust your, your, your salts downstream of the mash is certainly not a bad idea. Um, and that's one of those things you ask, like, how can we increase our bitterness or reduce our bitterness? You know, increasing it, you might want to add some of these salts in the whirlpool. So you actually, uh, even though the temperature is lower, mm-hmm. um, you can still increase the bitterness. Um, whereas it's typically actually the other direction that most brewers are going. They're trying to reduce the bitterness from the whirlpool addition. And get and, more aroma. And get more aroma. And one of the ways you can do that is perhaps dropping the pH in the whirlpool. So you might want to add lactic acid or something. Hmm. Um, but in, uh, the biggest one, as John said, is temperature. Okay. So if you can always, if you control your temperature, that's going to be the biggest impact in that summarization. All right. And in future episodes, we will dive back into water chemistry and hops. I'm sure we'll invite the great John Palmer back to join us as well for those. If you'll have us, that's John. Great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I want to say thanks again, John, for spending your time with us today. Um, Happy to. You haven't taught me anything in years. <laughs> mostly we got to hang out more. I know you're right. It's most. I was going to say it's mostly because I stopped listening. But here I am listening, <laughs> and I just and I just learned a whole bunch again. <laughs> so thank you so much. <laughs> sure. Anytime. All right, buddy. It was good to see you again. Thank you. You too. All right. Thanks. You can find the great John Palmer over at howtobrew.com and uh, send him your emails and questions through there, too. He's a good guy. Uh, you can also find him on the Brew Strong podcast right here on the Brewing Network. Uh, pay attention to yakimachief.com for hop and brew school information. It's going to be Labor Day weekend this year, and the Brewing Network will be there, and uh, you should be, too. So stay tuned for details on that. Nick, good job, my friend. Thank you, sir. As always, a joy to be here. My head did not spin around on another science episode. So yeah, I, you're cutting yourself short, dude. You gotta, you're selling yourself short, man. You, you gotta understand, <laughs> like you know, this this whole Justin's an idiot is not is not flying anymore. <laughs> now that I'm middle aged. Yeah. Oh, God, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We will be back with more on the Hop and Brew School podcast in a short time. Until then, take care of yourselves and See your y'all. beer.